right, well, thank you guys for being here with us. We know it's a crazy time of year, a ton of stuff going on beginning of the year, and so we're happy you guys are here with us uh, today. And so we're in a series called New, and so if you missed last week, we talked about this idea that a lot of us um, heading into a new year, we make resolutions, ideas, we analyze our life, we take think about things that we need to change, things we need to do better, all of those type of things. And so it's something that we all kind of think about as we start a new year. Hopefully it doesn't take a new year for you to kind of reset and think maybe some things need to change. Uh, We talked last week about this idea that Jesus gives us where it's talking about building a tower. Now he's not talking about a tower, he's talking about our lives, considering the cost of what it takes to actually build the life that you want. And so kind of challenged us with that. And we're going to come back to that in a few weeks. But today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about us. As we head into a new year as a church, uh, and so we're going to talk about kind of where we're going, uh, where we've been, and kind of some of the ideas that we want as we move forward into a new year. And so I want to start, even though we're talking about us, this is going to sound selfish, talking about me. Um, And one of the things I want to let you guys know is one of the greatest privileges I have in life outside of being a husband to my wife and a father to my kids um, is getting to be here, getting to be a part of this church, uh, getting to lead, uh, to serve alongside all of you guys. Um, I take it very serious. Um, It's something that, I mean, some nights I'm up till two o'clock in the morning thinking about things, analyzing things, thinking about where we've been, where we're going, how we're making the best decisions. Um, Every night, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but it's a practice I've kind of put into place, is that every night, Um, I look into the mirror and I ask myself, now I don't look in a mirror every night because I'm bald so I don't have hair so it's easier, Uh, but I ask myself, proverbially, um, did I lead myself well today? And the reality is, is that sometimes the answer is no. I don't always get it right. I make mistakes just like everybody else. Um, And and then the second question is, did I lead myself well today? Because that's where I think we all have to start, regardless of where you find yourself, is only thinking about yourself. Did I lead myself well? But then the other question for me is, I have to ask God, did I lead your church well today? Every day, not just on Sundays, am I leading the church well? And the reality is, I don't always get it right. I mess up, I make wrong decisions just like everybody else, but I always try to do the best that I can. And so for where we've been, but also where we're going, all I ask for is grace and patience along the way and to know that we're always trying to do our best, not just me, but our staff. And we have an amazing team of people, uh, especially leaders here at Journey that make this happen every single week. So for us, as I think about myself and my involvement in this organization, um, where are we going? And sometimes it's hard to imagine the future without fully comprehending where you've actually been. And so today, for some of you guys, especially if you're new, we're glad you're here. We hope you stop by the Welcome Center and get a gift just for being here. Even if you never come back again, we're glad you're here today. But for some of you guys, you're going to get a quick history lesson um, into where we've been as a church, as an organization. Um, And so years ago, a little bit over a decade ago, we started in the library right across the street. Uh, There was about 20 of us, uh, that includes children, and so uh, there was about 20 of us in the room, and and we spent a whole summer and kind of a fall talking about and planning about what type of church we would like to create. And then we moved into Shepherdsville Elementary School on 101010, here's a picture of it, Uh, and so uh, that's us, we moved into the school, and the school brought on a lot of challenges. We were very grateful for our time there, uh, but we were in the cafeteria, you'd walk into the sun Sunday mornings. And there would be chicken nuggets and tater tots on the ground. And you'd be like, well, we're dealing with this today. Um, and, and so uh, it was this kind of big space. If you've ever been to a school cafeteria. Ideally, not the best place for like a church, but we made it work. And so uh, we were there for several years. Uh, lots of challenges came along 
with that. Uh, we had to, you see in the back, uh, there's me. We'll go to that picture. Thanks, Elaine. I'm just kidding. No. So uh, this is me on our first Sunday on Tid Tid 10 when we officially launched. Uh, I had hair back then um, and about 20 pounds. And uh, so that was our first Sunday. And we learned a lot um, in, in that first little bit. Uh, me and Nathan had to go and relearn. That's a 22-year-old Nathan right there um, and myself. And we were at a conference trying to learn some things. So the very first week we launched in this cafeteria, um, and there were challenges. I, mean, I remember, and some of you guys, uh, most of you guys weren't a part of that, but when we would go, we would have to set up every week. And so we had these curtains. Uh, they were a nightmare. Um, and every week we'd have to literally paper, rock, scissors to see who was setting up the curtains because it was a nightmare. We had to make this cafeteria feel not like a cafeteria. We bought every square inch of black fabric the city of Louisville pretty much had. And uh, we also had everything. We had to set up and tear down every single week. And so every Saturday, me and Nathan would get there about 7 o'clock in the morning at Shepherdville Elementary, and we'd set up rain, snow, sleet, didn't matter. We had to set up. And the way we did it was we had this 1978 Ford van that somebody had donated to us. Um, yeah, it's a, and it did not work all the time. And so at like 6 o'clock, I get a text from Nathan, like, can you give me a jump? And I'd be like, sure. And then I'd have to drive the next week, and he'd text me. I'd text him, be like, can you give me a jump? So we all did it in this trailer, and we would, we would set up and tear down every single week. It was a lot of work. But eventually, uh, we had our first service, and our very first week, it was awesome. We had about 250 people that showed up. And we were like, this is, it's awesome. This is great. We started with 20. We're at 250. What we later discovered was those 250 people were all of our friends and family uh, that came to join us for that first Sunday. Um, the very next week, we dropped down to 80 and then 50 and then 40. And I remember having this thought in my mind, like, if we keep dropping, you know, it'll be okay because at least my wife has to show up and Nathan has to show up because I'm paying him. And, and so at least there'll be four of us. And, and so we moved into this thing. Um, it, it was a lot of, of work. I mean, it was every single week for, for about six years, just every Sunday. This was my office um, for the first, I don't know, seven or eight years at Cedar Grove Coffee Shop. I was there every morning. I'd show up at eight o'clock and drink coffee all day with Danny, who owns it, and just hang out and, and talk. I mean, there was a lot. I remember our first baptism that we did. There's Mark Proctor. If you guys know Mark, we would do like community uh, cookouts and stuff, and right outside the school. But our first baptism, uh, we didn't know what to do. Somebody wanted to get baptized. So we went and we bought, we went to a farmer's supply or whatever, tractor supply, and we bought this trough, kind of like the one we still use. And uh, we didn't know where we were going to get water from. And so I found a spigot on the outside of the school, took a long water hose and ran it from the spigot to the baptistry. I was like, problem solved. Problem was, it was January. And uh, so I'm running cold water from there out into this baptistry. I still remember that baptism. Uh, it was a guy named Brett Norton. And I remember when I, when I put my arm down in the water to baptize him, I just looked at him and said, I'm so sorry. And I just, I mean, it was, it was ice cold, like not just cold, like ice cold, but we learned a lot. And, and so uh, things, God continued to bless our efforts. And I remember about a year into us being there, uh, there was a Sunday where I get there early. I'm kind of staying in the cafeteria area and um, so many people helped put that on. Some of them are still here. Some of them have, have, have gone and different places moved and whatever. And uh, the, the Sunday, all these cars start showing up in the parking lot. And I'll pull Nathan aside, and I'm like, man, they're here. Like, this is the Sunday. Like, this, you see the parking lot? And he's like, yeah. So we're, like, putting out more chairs. We're, like, kind of freaking out because we have all these cars in the parking lot. We go to open the doors for the services, let people in and all that stuff. Um, and I'm stoked. And as people start to walk in, I start to see a lot of people <clears throat> in, like, volleyball outfits 
What they didn't tell me was there was a volleyball tournament that day at the school, and that's why everybody was there. And, and my favorite part of that day was you walk in the cafeteria and then the gym's behind it. People would walk into the service in their like, equipment, and I'd be like, do you think this is a volleyball tournament? Like, this is a church service. It's like, they'd have to get up and leave and all this stuff. I mean, it was just so many amazing, weird things that happened meeting in a school. And, and then about our third Christmas, we had grown to almost 100 people. And we, we finally decided, I made the decision, bad decision, to do two services. Um, we had plenty of room. I don't know why I decided to do two services, but I decided to do two services. And so we had the Christmas and 120 people showed up. It was our first time other than launch that we were over 100 people. And that was like a big deal for us like in the moment. And 120 people showed up to this Christmas Eve service, the first one. And I remember like so much excitement in the room and then everybody's starting to leave. And as everybody's leaving, I had this thought, I said, Everybody I know was there. So what's going to happen next? Well, what happened next was two families showed up, both first-time guests, and one sat like right here in the cafeteria, and one sat all the way in the back in the cafeteria. And I remember just being like, this is the weirdest thing ever. And I had to preach, and Nathan had to lead worship for four people in a giant room on our on this Christmas. And, and then things kept, kept going. I mean, we would set up, tear down every week. And eventually we got to the point we decided we needed to make a different move. And so uh, we, we moved into this space. I think there's a picture. Sorry, Elena, I know I'm kind of out of order. Uh, there's a picture. So this is actually out in the lobby. This was a wedding rental hall. It's called River's Edge. Maybe some of you guys had weddings or stuff. Um, but we rented the space from them at first. And so we would set up every week these chairs. And as you can see, there's columns in the way. So uh, it got me like this anxiety about people not being able to see. And so I got obsessed with the chairs. I mean, there's still running jokes about the chairs, even in this room. But this was kind of what it looked like at first. We would just show up on Sundays, we'd set up chairs, we'd meet in the lobby um, and have services. I remember about six months in, they would do weddings on Saturday, Fridays and Saturdays, and then we would have church here on Sundays. And I remember there was a Sunday we, we came in and Nathan texted me, he said, there's something wrong with the floor. And I was like, what could be wrong with the floor? So I'll walk in and the first four steps I take, I mean, my shoe is literally like just sticking to the floor. Like just, I mean, it's just like sticking. I mean, like, it's almost like a cartoon where like, as you lift your foot, there's like this film that's coming off. And so, you know, we called the people that owned the building and we said, hey, the floor is really messed up. I don't know um, what happened. And they were like, oh yeah, one of the kegs exploded last night at the wedding. And there would just been like a layer of beer all over the floor and they hadn't had time to properly clean it. So our, that Sunday, there was just stuff. I mean, there were so many challenges, but there are memories that I have because there were a lot of challenges. This is one of our first servers, services in this building. If you think this building is ugly now, look at it then. And uh, so we've done a lot of work and our team decided as we kept growing, as God continued to bless our efforts here, we need to make some changes here. And so this is actually the room that you're in right now. It was different showrooms, um, seven of them, and green carpet, wallpaper. We tore all those downs. And uh, so then we, we had a group of guys. I mean, um, guys that I know, she's going real fast. She's doing this on purpose now, uh, that, that were, uh, that were uh, you know, helped us do this. It was just a group of people that made this happen to where we could have this sanctuary in here. And we continued to grow, so we built a youth space in the back. And now you can go to the next slide. And uh, so this is one of our first events here in the community. Uh, we did a, a Polar Express thing out in the lobby. And we've always had this community involvement idea um, in, in our mind. And this is kind of one of those first iterations of Grinchmas. So there's now this huge event. Flash forward, continue to go. And uh, eventually we get to the point 
We're just growing. We're running three services, considering four. Um, we're all in this space. I think there's a picture of our first service. There's one of our first services. Uh, there's Sean Bridges. That's when you still had hair and uh, trying to have hair. And, uh, and so uh, one of our first services, and it was amazing. We continued to grow. And eventually we had this thing called Big Sunday. Now, Big Sunday was where we gathered everybody uh, that was attending Journey at the time. We rented out Paraket Springs. It ended up being about 1,500 people. Um, and we had one big service, everybody together. Um, and then we went out and, and served our whole community. We had people going all over the county uh, serving the community. Uh, some crazy things happened along the way. We had a flood at one point, uh, and that was outside. If you're on Preston, that's literally that bay window right there. The water was up to it. We thought it was going to come into the building. And we remember thinking, this might be a bad idea that we're right next to the river. And, uh, but it, God continued to bless us. And then um, something happened, and it was called COVID. I don't know, guys, you remember COVID? And almost a decade of work and effort and energy, 1,000 people regularly attending almost every Sunday, and then it all got shut down. And there was this moment where for about three months, the only people coming in the office was me and, and Paul would come in and I would film these like sermons that we would post online. I mean, it was weird. It was awkward. And the, the whole question was like, what's going to happen next? Like, what, what do we do next? Like, what do we do? How do we recover from this, all this? And the reality is, and I don't tell you numbers because I want to say like in anything that the numbers are, are the point, but the point was, is those numbers represented people. They represented families. And we went from a thousand people almost regularly attending to when we came back from COVID, only about 300 people showing up. That's a huge hit. And there was a lot, and it was a lot on our team. It was a lot on us. And, and, and there were like these questions of like, what do we do now? Like, how do we move forward? Like everything we've built to this point. And then a lot of things happened and we were trying to figure out what the future holds. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because there's going to become moments here as a church and in your lives where you don't know what the future holds. And sometimes what happens like in that moment when COVID hit, I had forgotten everything that God had already brought us through because all I saw was what was right in front of me. And, and there's other times when I think about the future, it's hard to even imagine the future because I only see what's right in front of me. And, and the reason I showed you guys those pictures is it was a reminder to me as I was thinking about what I wanted to say about where we are, but where we're going. It was a reminder of me of everything that God has already brought us through. And to kind of imagine what this future might look like. And, and part of it is when you have these moments where you feel stuck or you feel like you're not sure what to do, um, you can lose sight of the main things. And you can get distracted, as we talked about on Christmas Eve. And I can get distracted. And, and one of the greatest privileges I do have is to serve and to lead this church. But it's also very difficult. It comes with a lot of weight that comes with it. And if I'm being honest, I mean, there are some weeks, like, to be honest, I'm just like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I had hair at one point. Now I don't, right? <laughs> a lot of grays showing up. And I have no idea what the future holds. And as a control person, as I've talked about before, it's very difficult. But then I was thinking about what I'm going to talk about today and this week and where we're going. And I started to think about this idea that, you know, even someone tries to control situations and, and wants to always have a plan. The reality is, is I've never been able to do this by myself. And not even our team or our staff have been able to do it by ourselves. It's important for us to remind ourselves that this is what God has been doing through us and with us. And he's going to continue to work because even when we don't know, we do believe that God is always faithful. 
Now, we started Journey in the library and then in the school. And when we first started, there were two things we started with, two ideas. And the first one comes from Scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 9. And, and this is one of the verses we talked about a lot. And it says this. Jesus, he's kind of starting his ministry, traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I love this because when Jesus sees the world and the state that it's in and people's lives the way they're in, he doesn't condemn, he doesn't judge, he has compassion for them. He wants to help them. And here's, here's Jesus' response to seeing the world the way that it is. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. So when we looked at this area, listen, there have always been great churches and there's still great churches in this community. But we started to imagine as Bullock County and Shepherdsville and this area continued to grow, like what can we do to play our part in all of this, to be these people that Jesus is asking for, these workers in the fields. So that was the first thing we started with. And the second thing was a quote from a book. I read this book. It was about a a thousand page book. It was super dense. It was Tim Keller. It was called Center Church. And in the middle of that book, he had this quote that haunted me about thinking about the church and the churches I've been a part of. And I've been a part of great churches. But he said this, he said, If you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, would anybody in the community around you notice you were gone? And he goes on to explain this idea that there's a lot of churches that if tomorrow they stop being the church in that area, other than the people that attend who now have to go find another church, would anybody in the community even notice or care? And so we said very early on, we want to be a stakeholder in this community. Which means in a decade, we've already developed a reputation that we've, we believe that if we were to pack up tomorrow, which we're not, there would be a hole in this community. And so we want to be a church that is about this community and lead with this mission of Jesus seeing these people with broken lives and how we can address this and how we can be, continue to be a stakeholder in this community. Now, Jesus is very clear about what he came to do. So in Luke chapter 4, one of the very first teachings we see of Jesus, even in his teaching, he's quoting an Old Testament scripture and it says this, Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. And so he's handed this scroll, and it's the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now here's why I say all that. Because we're 2,000 years removed from this, this moment. And there are still plenty of poor, hurting, blind, and oppressed people, including in our community. And Jesus, he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue looked at him and he said this, These scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. This is the launch of Jesus' church. His mission, that he's going to do these things. He's going to help this world. Now, you might not like the language of confused, helpless, blind, lost, whatever these words on, but it doesn't take some theological framework to understand that whatever else we're doing in this world isn't working. Suicide, depression, anxiety, all on the rise. Hate, intolerance, 
apathy towards the actual things that should cause people to rise up. Jesus said he came to give us life and life to the full, but also that he came to give us peace. And I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of words that I would say would not describe the world that we live in as much as peace. We're desperate for it. We need it. And so we still have a lot of work to do, 2,000 removed. And so for us as a congregation, a decade, a little bit over a decade in, what are we going to do? How are we going to play our part in doing this today in this world? Now, there's a story uh, that sticks out to me, and it's a simple story that most of us know, but there's one particular word and idea that happens in this story that I want us to focus on. This story is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, a wee little man was me. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see, right? Some of you grew up in church. And so, um, so Jesus, he's entering Jericho, and he's doing his, his work, and he, he comes to this point, and it could come up in, in uh, Luke chapter 19. He's passing through, and a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, a little bit about tax collectors, and we've talked about this many times. Tax collectors have one of the worst reputations in their community. The reason they have such a bad reputation is because they've sold out their family, their friends, their community, everything to make money on the back of Rome. They're considered greedy, they're outcasts, not a lot of people. In fact, you'll see often in scripture, it'll say there were sinners and then tax collectors. It was offensive to sinners to put tax collectors in the same category, all right? That's how low people thought of these people. And so here is this tax collector. Now he's wealthy, but he's also empty inside and he's broken inside. He goes on to say, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was too short. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, now, this is a word that you've probably never even thought about. You've probably read this story a million times, but this is what I want us to focus on, this idea, when he reached the spot. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people who saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, this is important to recognize. Jesus isn't worried about his reputation right now. He isn't worried about what the other people are going to say about him. He sees this man. This man sees him. He is broken. He's hurting. And apparently, this is something that's going to happen. So Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because of this man too is now a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now this story, I think, has to be a part of our mentality as a church. In fact, the way that we move forward, we do recognize, and we're going to talk about this at the end, that part of what we do is for us. It's so that we have a body, so that we have this thing. We want us to grow, to disciple each other, to learn, to spiritually grow. But part of it is also realizing it's not just for us. The part of our mission is to be a place where people can find love, compassion, truth, grace, where you have Zacchaeuses and the Zacchaeuses of the world can come and actually have an encounter with Jesus. See, if you read this story, I mean, Zacchaeus, I mean, I don't know all the details. I'm assuming there's more that went on besides just what we see. But it's like he meets Jesus and immediately he's like, you know what? I'm just going to change my whole life. Now, the reality is in the last decade, we have met a lot of Zacchaeuses. Some of them are in this room right now. 
People whose lives were broken, a mess, shattered. This man was corrupt, broken, conflicted. He was on a path. He was on a trajectory. And then all of a sudden, he has this encounter with Jesus, and everything changes. He changes. The story of a God who can change us, who can change outcomes, who can change stories, who can change trajectories, it's really quite amazing that it continues to happen over and over and over again. But for me, there is a problem in this story that I want to address. See, in this story, so Zacchaeus, he's wanting to see Jesus because even though some people don't realize it until they have the moment, their lives are broken. Nobody wants to admit that. But Zacchaeus has this moment, he's drawn to Jesus for some reason, and maybe it's because even though he's wealthy, he knows deep down inside something's not right. And so he's on his way to see Jesus, but there's a problem, he can't see Jesus. And do you remember why in the story he couldn't see Jesus? And it wasn't just because he was short, it was because there were people in the way. What if we've created a world where people can't see Jesus sometimes because there's too many people in the way? I hope that we never become a church to get in the way of someone actually seeing Jesus. And so he gets to this idea where he still desperately wants to see Jesus, so he's willing to do anything. And so he goes to this sycamore tree, and he climbs up in it, and Jesus is walking through, and then the Bible says that he gets to the spot. And when he gets to the spot, something amazing happens. See, part of the story that we remember is that that he wants to see Jesus. But when you actually read the story, we get to the spot, and there's a crowd. We get to the spot, and what does it say? It says, Jesus looked up. See, we all know that some people desperately want to see Jesus, but has ever dawned on you that Jesus might actually want to see you? That there are people in this world, I can tell you, that they don't believe that Jesus sees them. And this story, I think, shows us that Jesus sees us. Maybe we need to be more people and a people that create more spots for people. An opportunity for someone who's looking for Jesus to not only see Jesus, but also to have this realization that God is also seeing them. In the church, we're this idea that Jesus gives us where we come together And we do what we do, but it's also a way for the world who is still desperately seeking and looking to actually see something that's visible of the invisible. We are the body of Christ. What if people realize that Jesus sees them because we see them? What if people have this moment where they come to the spot and they've been desperately searching and because we see them, because we care about them, because we love them, because we reach out to them, because we pray for them, all of a sudden they have this understanding that Jesus actually sees them. So the text says he reaches a spot and it was a spot. It was an opportunity. And my hope is that we are the type of church that we become a spot for some people an opportunity for someone to have an encounter with Jesus. And some of you, I know your story, this was the spot. This was the spot where you got to have the encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And as a church, I want us to know who we are. We are a living manifestation of the reality of Jesus in this world. We want to be a spot where people, where you, can have an encounter that changes everything.
Now, we've started with that idea and we've continued to run with it for over a decade. Now, to be honest with you, there's a lot that's changed since we started. We have a lot more people to know. It's easier to do things and keep the main thing the main thing with less moving parts. It's also easier when you have less people to manage, less expectations to meet. And the reality is, since we've started, there's been other churches that have come into this area that have done amazing and great things and accomplished amazing and great things. And that's okay. We welcome them into this area. We, didn't, we might have been the first, but we won't be the last to start a church in this area in the last decade. The other thing I want us to understand is that my understanding of the kingdom of God is even though we have different bodies and different ideas, that we're all part of one church. And so for us, it could be easy at times to pull back, to say we've done a lot of great things over the last decade, to have less faith, to let someone else have greater faith, greater courage, make greater sacrifices. But my understanding and my reality is that God still has plenty to do with us here. And I don't ever want to stop dreaming about what God could do with us and through us here in this place. So what has God actually called us to do? And are we able and willing to step into that moment? I know a lot of times we try to be PC and use progressive language, and I'm even tempted to do that at some times. But the simple reality is, whether you agree with me or not, is that people actually, they need Jesus. They need Jesus to come into their lives, to show them the fullness of what they can become. Now, this is difficult because the other side of this I understand. The church sometimes has a damaged reputation. Sometimes people come into a church and they they hope to find truth and they didn't find truth. Or they go into a church expecting to find love and acceptance and that's the last thing that they found. They were looking for grace and mercy and they received something completely different. Maybe they've been a part of churches or people um, that were supposed to represent Jesus who they thought were trustworthy and ended up not being trustworthy. And so how do we respond to that idea of the honesty of people and the world that we actually live in? How do we actually, as the church, be a people that are moved by his love? We embrace his love, but we're moved by it. How do we actually be a people that do this counter-narrative to some of the damaged reputation of the church? And it's not dependent on us. It's his church. But how are we actively trying to help people have these encounters, these spot moments with Jesus? So, break in the narrative, because I know we're talking about some heavy stuff, and some of your eyes are glazing over. So, here's the thing. Uh, When I was 22, um, I got cable television for the first time, okay? Um, It's crazy to think of that, but that was the first time I saw cable television. I've made friends had the cable, but the first time I had it. And um, when I got cable television, uh, the channel that I fell in love with was the Animal Planet. You guys remember Animal Planet? It was actually when you could turn on TV and still actually learn something. It doesn't happen anymore. And so um, one of the very first shows that I watched, I don't even remember the name of it. I need to look it up. It was a long time ago. Um, but there was a show about these, these guys that train birds, and there was one of them was a falconeer. I don't know if you guys know what falconeers are. Um, I want to be one when I grow up. It's amazing. It has nothing to do with the sermon, just so you guys know. And so in this show, um, there's this guy, and he's talking about training these birds. Now, I got obsessed with that, but then also got obsessed with like learning these facts about these animals. And one of the things that was amazing to me that stuck out, that has continued to stick out to me, is this one simple idea. That when you take in the animal kingdom, an, an animal, by itself, it's referred to as what it is. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. Like we just refer to them as what they are. But then something happens when you take that animal and you put them with a group of the same animal. Their name changes is the way we refer to them. The way they behave becomes different. And they even, as you kind of take these collection of animals, their title and reputation, um, it changes when it goes from one animal to a group of animals. 
Okay, so let's just have some fun. Uh, see if you pay attention in school. So if you have a lion, it's a lion. But if you take a group of lions and put them together, it refers to now as a pride. You're good. You paid attention. Okay. So yeah, and you can see it. Like, I mean, one lion is intimidating. A group of lions is like, oh my goodness, right? We're about to get eaten. And so, but they're a pride and you can see, I mean, they literally, I mean, the pride is the perfect name for them. I mean, you see it, the way they behave, the way they strut, I mean, the way they look. Okay. So that's one. All right. So when you have one rhino, it's a rhino. What happens when you get a group of rhinos? It becomes a There you go. You're the first person to know that. It becomes a crash. Now think about how perfect is that title and description for a group of rhinos is a crash. I mean, they look like they're about to crash into something, right? When you have a flamingo, it's referred to as a flamingo. When you have a group of flamingos, it's referred to as flamboyant, all right? And we're going to leave that one alone. All right, so, so that's that. All right, when you have one owl, it's referred to as an owl. When you have a group of owls, it's referred to as a parliament. You didn't know that, did you? It's a parliament, and they do look British, okay? Um, You'll get this one. You guys will know this one. When you have one crow, it's a crow. When you have a group of crows, it's referred to as a murder of crows, okay? When you have one vulture, it's a vulture. When you have a group of vultures, it's referred to as a a committee or a congress, which explains Washington, D.C. perfectly, right? (laughs) Now, it's fascinating because they get these different names, different identities, and we know that these animals behave differently when they get in these groups, right? So when human beings come together, what's fascinating about our species is there's a whole lot of different titles for us when we collectively gather. There's a family, which is like the most basic of units. There's a tribe, right? Or a community, or even bigger, there's a nation. There's, I know there's all kinds of different descriptions. But when one particular group of humans come together we get referred to as the church. And so what are the behaviors that we're putting out? How are we identified within our culture, within our context? The church is supposed to be a movement of people who've been transformed by the love of Jesus, not only for themselves, but for the world around them, who are desperately committing to making sure that every human being knows that they are loved and valued And that God accepts you as you are, but he also loves you too much to leave you that way. That we actually do matter and our lives matter. And for far too long, let's be honest, parts of the church have been known as a group of people who are judgmental or condemning or arrogant or self-righteous. People that are only motivated by guilt and shame. See, I actually believe the church's reputation and us, as we gather together, as we become something different than we are as individuals, should be different. I think people should say, oh, it's the church. They are the most generous people in their community. It's the church. They are some of the most loving people around. It's the church. They're driven by kindness and compassion. They sacrifice and they serve not only each other, but also the communities that they found themselves in. The church should be the epicenter of imagination and beauty and creativity And I think a church's reputation should be that it was built by love, held together by love, unified by love. And not just the love that we as individuals have for God, but the love that we have for each other, and in turn, the love that we have for humanity. So here's what I think we've been called to do. We've been called to build this thing with love. And we're called to build this thing with love regardless of whether they ever love us back. So there's this term called unconditional. 
It's the love that we believe that God has for us, and in turn, as his body, we should have for each other. Now, over a decade in, um, one of the cool things about what we've done and this mission and this vision is, is God's honored that, and, and God's blessed us, and it's all been through his, what he's able to do through us and, and with us. Um, but one of the cool things about this, this whole process, is this. The neatest thing about the last, a little bit over the last decade for, for me has been is to realize that, that we're hopefully creating something together that will outlive all of us. That, that what we're doing here in this community, specifically in this body, but also in this community at large, is not just for us, it's for our kids and our kids' kids. I've told this before to people, and I really do believe it. I, I, I hope in my lifetime that I never actually get to fully see what this becomes. I hope that it outlives myself. What's cool is, is my belief that the next leaders, not just the pastor or the staff, but the next leaders of this church are sitting in a room back there right now, pooping and peeing all over themselves. <laughs> that we're investing in something, not just for us, but for the future. I always want to operate that if my be- that believing that our best days are always ahead of us, never behind us. It's cool to reminisce about all the great things that have happened, but I want to believe our best days are still in front of us. And we need you. We need what you as individuals can bring to the table, that as we collectively gather and our identity changes and our behavior changes and our reputation changes, we need your knowledge, we need your talent, we need your resources. And I want to say something that sometimes people misunderstand, but I I want to say this with the most utmost sincerity. If this is not a good fit for you, please find somewhere you can connect, where you can get behind the mission, where you can fully serve. I want everyone to find desperately a church community that they can rally behind. And if it's not this one, I understand. I hope that it is, but I want you to find this. Now, there's a lot coming up in this next year, a lot of changes that are probably going to happen, a lot of things we have to do differently as we kind of assess where we've been, but also where we're going. And the one word I want to focus on for us is this word community. And it's a really important word. And I think we've done a really good job over the last decade of reaching to the community out there. And we're going to continue to do that. It's going to be a main part of what we always will do. But I also want us this year to take some time and focus on this community, you guys. I want you to find this place to be a place where you actually really feel connected and loved and valued. I want this to be a place where you actually feel like you have friends that come here, where you're cared for. I want this to be a place where you're growing spiritually and personally, where you're being discipled to actually become more like Jesus. And we're committed to this year, and there's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen this year that are going to show our commitment to that. And all I ask is I ask from the very beginning as we figure this thing out is that you just give us some grace and patience along the way. But know that we're working towards it. Now, I want to end this, this, this me- it's not even a message, it's like a talk. I just like talk to you. And, and so here's the thing, I want to end with this verse. And this verse is one of my favorite sections of scripture that, that exists. And I know I'm supposed to have favorites, but this is one of them. In Ephesians chapter three, Paul is writing this letter to a church. And, and in this letter, he, he has this kind of prayer for them. And I love it. It's Ephesians chapter three, he says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, speaking of God, He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I hope that. There's this great verse that Paul gives us that though we're outwardly wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed. And I hope that you feel that sometimes. We're getting old. I'm getting old. My body hurts all the time. My hip just hurts, right? 
but inwardly I hope that we're being renewed so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, and I think this is what I want for us, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this knowledge that surpasses, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. I really do believe that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. Now, this is the part for us. This is one of my favorite parts. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. I never imagined, I should have, but I couldn't, when we hit 100 people that one day we might hit 1,000 people. I never even thought, hey, you know what? We did one baptism in less than 10 years. We're going to do 400 more of these things. But he was and is. So that he who, who, who can do more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. He's working within us. And he's imagining more than I or my team or even some of you in this room could ever even imagine that he's able to do with us and through us and in this community. And so as we think about the future, it can be difficult. But I know that God's been faithful, and I know that God will continue to be faithful, and I want us to dream together, knowing that even the best dreams we could come up with, that he has immeasurably more for us in store. And I hope that we're all in this together. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the last 12 years of just, um, sometimes us just throwing stuff out there. And you honoring those efforts and being faithful to us and blessing us and continue to bless us. God, I thank you for all the people that you've allowed to walk in these doors. I even thank you for the people that have walked in these doors that are no longer a part of this version of the story or this next chapter. But God, that they were a part of the story of you building this church here. And God, I thank you for the privilege that I get to serve and to lead alongside not only everyone in this room, but just some amazing people. So God, my prayer is that you continue to guide us, to lead us as we think about the future, as we move into the future, um, that you continue to allow that mission that you established all those years ago about seeing that, that city of people that are hurt and broken and praying for people to come in and to, to work those fields, to help those people with kindness and compassion. God, your original, as you read that scroll, there's this vision of you coming in to, to set captives free, to help the oppressed, the poor, the blind. And God, help us just to be a part of that. All we want to be, maybe for some of us, and maybe for us collectively, is just that spot. That spot where people can come in and actually have a real encounter with you that has the potential to change everything. And so God, continue to guide us, to lead us. God, give us the wisdom we need, the strength we need. And God, in all things, may us as a collective continue to offer grace to each other, patience to each other, uh, mercy to each other. And God, may this whole thing be built around love. The love that you have for us and the love that we have for each other. So Father, we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.